This week on Mobile First, a conversation with Joshua Behar, Junior Director of Marketing for the brand Ike Behar. And you know, like I said, it was kind of making sure that people could see that you can get that same experience and that same quality and that same customer service in cyberspace, so to speak, rather than not just visiting Neiman Marcus or one of our retailers. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways from this episode on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we discuss how Josh grew up in a generational business with his family, a business that his grandfather started way before his time. We take a closer look at how Josh is bringing digital to the brand, and he explains step-by-step how he started with a minimal budget to validate an incremental investment into digital for the brand to eventually justify a digital-focused and a digital shift. Joshua Behar was born and raised in Miami Beach, Florida, graduated in 2012 from the University of Colorado, and has worked for the Ike Behar brand since the age of 15. Josh is in charge of new media, marketing, and customer outreach as director of marketing for the brand Ike Behar. Josh, thanks for spending some time with us today. I'm excited to have you here. How about you spend uh, some time telling us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Jordan. So like I said, I'm um, Miami born and raised which is actually where we, Ike Behar, have been headquartered now for about 30 years. And, you know, I love it here, even though I uh, had to leave the heat of Miami Beach for the mountains of Colorado for a little bit to sort of cool off. And since I graduated, I kind of came back and really dove in with both feet into the business. And like you kind of just said, I, uh, really took my first job for the company at a young age, 15, you know, working after school and summer jobs. And, you know, it kind of started really like anything, you know, you just wanted to kind of get a little spending money. I had some, a great bit of reverence for my grandfather who actually started the company and for my father and his two brothers who are the part owners and now full-time general manager, so to speak, of the company. And, you know, so I really just wanted to be involved in whatever way I could. At that time, kind of that really involved uh, working in shipping and uh, maintaining, uh, you know, inventory and doing data entry. And, you know, at the time, this was, you know, 2005, 2006, where there was really no space for creativity in the digital space. Our marketing was really done either print or through partnerships, which is, you know, requires a lot of investment. So of course, while I was permitted as I got older to kind of sit and have an opinion on things, uh, I was definitely kept more to a job, so to speak. But then, um, you know, I've always been interested in marketing. I've always been a big sports fan, so uh, I'm a big uh, stats guy as well and a big tech guy. So that has really kind of just 
pigeonholed me, I guess, into the the sphere of digital marketing, just because I, I really I'm a big, uh, like I said, demographics guy. And one of my heroes is, in fact, actually Billy Bean, who's the general manager of the Oakland A's, who's kind of really made a career out of sort of spotting trends before anyone else and sort of monetizing and growing his own brand based on sort of clues that he takes and kind of puts together where maybe others do not. And um, I just think digital marketing and um, just new BDR sort of spaces where I thought I could do that. And like I said, I've always had a tremendous amount of reference for the company. So it really was just kind of something that I've always been very passionate about and really is, you know, a big part of even just who I am personally, I'd say. Well, yeah, it's very clear that you're passionate about that. And I think that that's going to provide a really unique perspective in our conversation. So I'm really excited to to dig into that. And, you know, you got to start somewhere. So it's, it's funny, you know, where you started, but then, you know, being that it's also you're part of the family and it's a generational business, I think that's going to provide a really cool and unique uh, also insight and perspective from your position. And then also what allowed you to pivot into the role you're at and align with your passions. So I think with what we have ahead of us, I think we're going to get into some really great conversations. So I can't wait to do that. You ready to dive in and see what we can pull from your experience, Josh? I'm ready. Let's do it, Jordan. (laughs) All right. So, you know, at what point in your life did you become interested in new media and customer marketing? Because, you you know, you didn't start there, but you wanted to get there and transition there. So what was that pivotal moment that you're like, this is it, this, I finally get my shot to take it? Like anything, you know, it started just kind of being interested in college, you know, speaking with friends of different focuses in the business school. You know, um, Colorado actually has the uh, lead school of business, which I actually graduated with a degree in English, but all of my roommates were either in finance or computer technology. So we really kind of, you know, had a differing perspective on things and we all kind of were those guys that love to you know, talk about our, our ideas for starting a business in the future or, you know, a space where maybe there was no vision or, you know, some young guys could sort of come in and uh, shake things up a little bit. But, you know, it was kind of more just some naivete where, um, you know, then I kind of, like I said, I moved back to Miami after a few years in Colorado and, began working for the company. And of course, it was just natural that my job would be more marketing just because I, you know, I know just about everything there is to know about the brand, be it the history or what goes into our products or, you know, why our products are so much better than the competitors. So just the fact that I had such a handle on that naturally kind of put me into the marketing role because I am just naturally sort of able to educate people on the brand in ways that it would be hard for someone to come in fresh and do. But as far as new media, it's just, you know, I've always been a tech guy. I've always been a, you know, pop culture guy. And that's sort of where uh, that led led me into that space. And, you know, being one of the younger family members in the business, that kind of was my space that I really was able to make my own. And I kind of took it and ran with it. So you think being younger and, and part of that Gen Y really group, do you think that's what kind of 
forced your hand uh, just having that perspective? Or, you know, was there something else that kind of was your calling? You know, I think it was a little bit of both. I think it, you know, in part that, you know, when you go into a well-established company, we've been in business for over a half a century. And, um, you know, it's difficult to kind of come in. My father was actually from a marketing background as well. So it's difficult to kind of come in and tell someone who's been very successful, you know, how to do things differently. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for our generation, just we are, um, you know, I grew up as a digital native and, you know, it's just always kind of been something that I've understood and seen as lacking. So like I said, just out of reverence for the brand and seeing a hole that I could fill with maybe some unique expertise really just got me excited. Interesting. And, you know, a lot of these older companies aren't as susceptible to change, you know, when it comes to the digital age. And so you've made this transition to be able to provide this digital marketing really service and value to the company, you know, but what is it that allowed the company, you know, your family really to, to see this value and to want to make this change? You could say it was slow, but, um, you know, my first real strong responsibility was, of course, like anyone who's starting out in marketing these days is usually social media. Mm -hmm. You know, I think even from the start, they were a little bit reluctant to see the value in just digital marketing in general, not even just social media. But I think as we sort of built some campaigns and I put a real kind of focus and emphasis and we kind of got a return on investment. I was sort of given a little bit more leeway and responsibility and budget and room to get creative and play. And, um, you know, I think like anything, I was able to kind of prove that I was able to get more out of what they were able to give me than what, you know, a traditional just, marketing campaign from like the 90s or 80s would have been able to give where you pay a lot for print advertising and you kind of just cross your fingers and pray. And, um, you know, like I said, my father, Alan, and his brothers, Steve and Lawrence, and even my grandfather and, you know, the other people who are not Bayhars in the firm, you know, it's, they're results oriented. So, you know, it's kind of hard to not you know, go with what works. And, right. you know, unfortunately, cause like I said, we have an older demographic and it's just as hard for the customer, I would say to adopt sort of new ways of buying and getting into luxury clothing. And we have a big, for example, custom business and for hundreds and hundreds of years, you'd go to a tailor and they'd show you some swatches and they'd measure you and, you know, they'd make you a custom suit. You know, now we are just finally in the luxury space starting to catch up with that where, you know, the younger guy is getting into custom and higher quality clothing and the older guy is trying to get in touch with the sort of newer ways of going about things because it is only getting easier. We're only being able to kind of show what we can show in person online in a way that's easy enough for people that aren't so technically fluent. 
Interesting. And I, I think that shows a lot, you know, on our end and for, you know, people that are maybe older inside our company has sort of changed their perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, I really like that perspective. And even the visual that you kind of painted for us there, it's, it's positioning the brand to be kind of at this meet in the middle point, right? Where you got this, this younger generation that's starting to buy more custom tailored suits where they're already, they're already adopting the technology. They're just now getting more into the, the relevant customer to where they're buying the suits. But then you have now the older demographic that is typically buying the suits that's now adopting more technology to kind of meet in this middle point. So I really liked how you framed that. Right. And that's what I what I'd say we 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 try to do. I think a lot of a lot of companies are really trying to do that. I like how you also pointed out, you know, go there it's hard for companies to go with what's unfamiliar and to adopt, you know, these new ways of buying the customer, you know, the customer for these new ways of buying. And one thing I would like to explore more is that transition that took place. Because I think that a lot of people have a very tough time making that transition. And whether it's adopting technology or, or creating a digital strategy or even going mobile first, as an example, that transition that took place from making that, that first big commitment, you said you started with social media, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty widely recognized for a great way to start. But then you said that you built some campaigns that proved the return on investment. I'd like to maybe dig in a little bit there. What were one of the first campaigns that you got approved? And then uh, how did you associate an ROI? What were those KPIs you were looking at? And what were some of the, the ways you were using to track those metrics? First of all, is we, you know, a number of years ago, our, you could say even our website was like, and we had a strong website, but our e-commerce was, you know, probably a little bit below par in terms of, just selection and ease of use and really in just kind of showing who we are as a brand. So we've always been, um, like I said, traditionally invested a lot in print advertising or radio or little sponsorships or things like that, you know, the traditional advertising routes. And I think it just was easier at least to kind of take our print and old existing kind of things and then tailor them to kind of the digital world and then be able to go to people like Alan, Steve and Lawrence, my father and his brothers um, and say, look, we can show you how many people viewed this ad, what these people did then when they went to our site, you know, and that's through things like the Google display network or even just Facebook ads. And, you know, I think being able to just see, like you say, K- KPIs, you know, on in front of you that, you know, you are bringing traffic to the site that we are closing sales based on that. And just kind of, you know, that the biggest thing about the kind of digital realm is it's been the democratization of information. You know, you don't have to hire research firms to get high grade analytics. You can see it on your computer and, you know, you can kind of see specifics. So um, specifically, when I'm thinking of one of our first campaigns that I was involved in was really the World of Ike Behar campaign. And as we were growing our brick and mortar retail apparatus, we wanted to get people to, like I said, experience all that is the world of Ike Behar. We, we, you know, we have a big product line when most people who have heard of our brand 
know us as a high quality shirt manufacturer, but we do custom shirting. We do top quality silk ties. We do custom suits. We do rack suits. We do loungewear. We do sportswear. And we do that all with the same kind of level of craftsmanship. And we use only kind of the best fabrics and we use very, very specific construction techniques, single needle stitching, a thing called our diamond quilted collar, which is actually invented and patented by Ike Behar himself. And in the digital space, you can really kind of get those points out there and to the people that it's more likely to be effective with. And I think then being able to show or to be able to pick placement a little more broadly than the New York Times or this magazine where, you know, this percentage of the readership is female, this percentage is male, but then it's also the males are in our demographic and really only being a very, very small portion. But then kind of being able to see at least for them, how specifically their, you know, campaigns were then influencing people. And at that point where I was less involved in the creative side and just kind of took a lot of what their print and just run-of-the-mill marketing stuff and sort of repurposed it for the digital space. And I think they just were kind of thrown back by sort of what's out there. You know, I mean, um, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine you know, the types of demographic and buyer preferences information that's available nowadays, even to, you know, a relatively small company. Yeah. And so with that campaign in particular, you know, they were investing a lot in prints and everything. And it's very difficult to track your success of those types of things. But getting a clear picture of this look, you know, in the, this model and this look is getting us a lot of feedback, whereas people don't really love this one. And it kind of allows you to really engage with the customer in a way that you never could before. And like I said, you know, they're, we're an analytic company. So, I mean, it's, you kind of got to follow what the people like. And I think that really showed it to them. Yeah. I think you touched on a lot of great points there. And I think uh, to kind of summarize what the focus was for what you were trying to pilot was just that personalized targeting and then the ability to really associate the metrics because there's already platforms out there that exist to do this, like you're pointing out. Like Facebook is a great example with these target, targeted advertisements, uh, these banner ads even, where they already have the analytics built into the platform. And uh, it's, a you know, rather than, hey, we need to build this whole platform and, and build this whole new website and do all of this as, as this massive investment, it's, you know, there's these little tests and things that we can do to really justify maybe an, an iterative roadmap to get to where you want to eventually go that, that uh, Josh, your vision is because you, you're more in tune with that digital space and, and you, can, you can see where that's going. But then really to get the whole company on board and to share that vision, it's really interesting how you went through this piloting sort of approach. And um, I think next what I'm interested to dig into is, so starting with this campaign really where Facebook is the platform and really owned that data and those metrics. What was that next campaign? What was that next level up where 
you are now trying a different sort of way to sell to the customer and a different sort of way to engage and a different way to, to capture those metrics. Yeah, we'll see. So then in that kind of moving forward, then in doing our next, you know, company-wide campaign, we started doing that with, you know, a little bit more wider range of channels in mind, so to speak. And also just kind of keeping in mind that people don't engage with their favorite brands in the same way. Whereas you and I could both be fans of Ike Behar, but I love to go into the store and feel the fabrics. And, you know, I'll, I'll go to Ike Behar's social media platform, or I'll go to someone's Tumblr or this and see what I like, but then I have to see it in person where you maybe don't have time for that. You, you know, you want to learn about what you can learn about and, you know, you don't, you want to be able to get kind of convenience and, you know, so that then kind of became another step of kind of our evolution that we needed to be able to accommodate a wide range of customers, including the older guy who's not quite ready to use, you know, a web app for ordering his custom shirt, but then also not alienating the guy who doesn't want to spend 45 minutes with the tailor, so to speak. So as we then were doing our creative with our, um, you know, our photographers and our stylists and putting things together, you kind of have to try to keep that in mind. And certain guys that are maybe more inclined to buy things digitally are maybe a little bit more willing to go outside the box as far as fit and style. Whereas the guy who you know, really wants to sit down with his tailor. He wants everything kind of the same way he's really always done it. But um, that doesn't mean you can't sort of bring him closer to the middle and, you know, sort of enhance his experience. And that's really what we tried to do. To, to not kick out the old in favor of the new, but in favor, you know, in sort of strengthening the new and then showing how we can improve that older experience. Gotcha. So without fragmenting, you are segmenting and really considering the user, the audience, and how they were interacting. That's, that's great. That's, that's, really, that's really insightful. And you mentioned, you know, with this expansion of understanding the user, you know, where the user is at, how to engage with the user, and being really purposeful and intentional in making that connection interacting. What were these channels that you were expanding on? How did that strategy grow from, you know, wanting to test through like a, you know, a Facebook ad and track those metrics to now let's consider, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, you know, as Twitter, as you, as you added the channels, what did that expansion of channels look like? Well, you know, it kind of went sort of gradually. Like we, we started, of course, like how most people did in Facebook and um, Facebook over the years has really been tremendous in kind of monetizing that for even small, small businesses, even businesses much smaller than us, you know, then you kind of take it from there. But especially kind of with a brand like ours, you know, our cohesive aesthetic means a lot. So and any kind of way that we can get that across and create one uniform message was great. So then we really, you know, 
dove in both feet with Instagram, particularly in the high quality fashion world. It's great. You know, I mean, you really have a terrific platform for, you know, showing what it is that makes Ike Behar that much more high quality of a brand. But, you know, at the same time, there, you know, it's easier than ever now, unfortunately, to sort of make yourself look like something you're not and have, you know, maybe lesser quality competitors or this or that make something look maybe better than it is. So it's really more important than ever to not sort of pigeon your hole yourself into Facebook or Twitter or what we do a lot with the Google Display Network or we have our um, our online web app for doing custom shirts and you don't want to keep yourself too narrow and I feel like we've been successful in sort of working everything off of each other so that our you know e-commerce serves our Facebook initiatives that service our Twitter initiatives that service our print advertising that even just reinforces who we are as a brand. So it's really once we kind of got support for, you know, kind of going all in on digital, it was really, you know, easy to kind of just bring things out. And especially, like I said, in the fashion business, where it's so much about visual and taste and creativity, your own personal creativity, even as much as the designers, you know, it really more, more than almost any industry, it really, you can then get the customer engaged and, you know, they can kind of help get your message across your, your fans and your customers that know who you are, you know, and know what you're about really want to get the word, you know, people want to share nowadays we live in that culture. And, you know, I think that was then that that's the biggest leap then after that is once you can, you know, once the message doesn't just have to come from you and you can build enough of a, strong community that you get the, you know, bloggers and the photographers and everything on board and they understand what you are doing and what makes you special. And, you know, that's part of just having a good digital presence. And um, it's just only getting more important, I think. So from when you went from trying your first campaign and, and really piloting this shift that needed to take place towards digital from that from that first campaign to getting that all in on support that you were just referencing you what was that time frame how how long did that transition take to really have them reframe their perspective into needing to make this shift you could probably uh answer that question in a number of ways okay you know i'd like to say that pretty quickly they realized that there was certainly value in modernizing the way in which we engage with our customers. Right. And the extent of that value maybe was what took some time to grow. And it was, it's not even unique to us, but even in a lot, a large portion of the luxury menswear business, that was something that was embraced, but not sort of with both arms, so to speak. You know, it kind of just like anything took a little bit more and more and more. But I would say after, you know, 2013, 2014, you know, about, you know, I would say a year, year and a half into 
really making some investments in creating kind of a digital infrastructure or improving our digital infrastructure, I should say, that they kind of, as a whole, a company started to really see, okay, this needs to not be an addition to what we're doing, but it needs to very much be a strong part of our our strategy going forward. And that's really, you know, influenced the type of partnerships and campaigns we've done since, you know, we've, we've since done wardrobe work for boys to men or the Dallas Cowboys or uh, the NFL Players Association. And that was maybe stuff we wouldn't have done a few years ago, because it really, like I said, it is all kind of about creating that conversation and just creating the, I keep using the word infrastructure to make that type of thing successful and to be able to use that to really educate people on the brand and what we're about. And, you know, I think that was really where you kind of saw the big monumental shift just in the, in the types of things we started to do, which were a little bit more conducive to, you know, a digital sharing mobile world. Yeah. You said one thing that, that really resonated and it, I liked how you broke it down, how there was a really quick adoption to see the value, but then seeing the extent of the value was something that, that took a little bit more effort to get to. And I think that that's, that's really the bigger pain point for a lot of companies is, is understanding to the extent of the value. It's, yeah, social media is great and you can totally leverage those channels. But then what's next? You know, what, what is the purpose of those and how do you integrate that to that bigger platform? And so I think it might be great to dig into, you know, your boys to men example and saying that, you know, that's, that's some of the later initiatives, some of the bigger initiatives that required that digital infrastructure to really support that sort of initiative. So, you know, at what point was it, okay, you're starting to get the buy-in and you can start to approach something like this, but was it a big leap to build the digital infrastructure that allowed for that opportunity to happen? Or was it an iterative approach to where you focused on, you know, maybe like modernizing the sales or then modernizing marketing and then after modernizing, you know, three or four you know, components that eventually it led to the ability to do something like that. Kind of what was that transition that took place? I'd say it's probably closer to the latter. You know, I mean, we kind of did it like brick by brick. Um, and, you know, you sort of, you know, after a few years, you know, boys to men have actually been just fans of the company as we have for years, you know, and um, it was kind of a thing where they would always would have loved to do something with us. We would have loved to do something with them, but it you know, it was kind of difficult in partnerships like that to really sort of get the word out there in a way that makes sense for both us and the customer and the partner. And, you know, I think, you know, a subpar, like I said, digital infrastructure wouldn't have done anything. You know, we would have sort of had, you know, maybe thrown up a few pictures and people say, oh, that's cool. And, you know, go, go about their day. But like I said, it's all about sort of, for us, creating one uniform feeling amongst our kind of space. And, you know, so you can be looking at, you know, the, the wardrobe prepared by Boysman's manager, who he Instagrammed a couple of months ago, 
and be like, wow, that's great. And check out our Instagram and then go from there to our website and see what we can do for custom work through our um, digital mobile custom sphere. And then you can say, oh, wow, that's great. I'd love to stop by uh, an Ikebeha retail store in either Chicago or DC or Miami next time I can. And, um, you know, that is really where it kind of comes into play, where you can get kind of value out of sort of, you know, partnerships. And, you know, you really can, like I said, I keep using the word educate people in a way that really shows who we are as a brand. You know, you really can't do that if people just get bogged down in one space or another. If people, you know, come into the store and don't think about you again for six months or see, you know, a ad you put on Facebook or visit your blog, but then really don't take any other action. It really doesn't help anyone very much. So, you know, I think everything working together is paramount. They end that boys to men experience, just like, uh, you know, our partnership with the Dallas Cowboys and their annual kickoff luncheon that uh, benefits Happy Hill Farm has also been another one of those for us that, um, you know, it's a great time that we are able to help raise awareness for the Happy Hill Farm charity that the Dallas Cowboys and Ike Bear support very much. And, you know, at the same time, are still able to show people who we are as a brand. And, you know, in associating with people like Dallas Cowboys or Boys Men, you can see that we are, you know, a, a quality brand. I'd like to ex- expand a little bit and maybe build on that Boys to Men opportunity to, to dig into, you know, when you say, digital infrastructure, because in this industry, you know, that's totally a buzzword can be used for a lot of different ways. But I think from your perspective, it'd be great to understand, you know, what was the digital infrastructure that was in place that had to be in place for this opportunity to really hit and impact at the scale that it did? Like, what were those components of this digital infrastructure that supported that? Let me go back a little bit and say that um, for a large part of our history, we even we dealt mostly in wholesale and our brand, our brand was bought primarily in, you know, the big luxury department stores. Like uh, we've had a tremendous relationship with Neiman Marcus for 30 years. And, you know, that was sort of the way in which people engaged with us. So, you know, as kind of a necessary result, our, our, you know, very first website was primarily geared towards, you know, selling towards retailers and was not necessarily strongly geared towards the end customer. And, you know, as we built our retail arm and built up our kind of individual brand separate from, you know, our many tremendous partners, we started to kind of transition our website. But you know, we still, until maybe five, six years ago, we're stuck in a little bit of a limbo position where we were partly trying to appeal to retailers and build an e-commerce setup. So it was kind of done one thing at a time. And that was maybe one thing where we needed a one whole cohesive redo. So, you know, in the past few years, we have tremendously talented web expert um, who has worked on sort of streamlining the whole thing and just really, really creating the sort of digital aesthetic that we see 
in our stores and in the brand and that I try to sell in everything in terms of, you know, our just web presence before I kind of, and then before I kind of got there, we really had to, like I said, kind of think of ways to modernize our setup, but not in a way that would alienate our longtime customers who, like I said, were familiar with engaging with us, not in that setting. So we needed to kind of bridge that gap where we could, you know, get the Neiman Marcus customer to check out IkeBehar.com or our IkeBehar shop online. And, you know, that was probably the biggest challenge at first was just changing the perception. As we kind of did that, Facebook and social media, and then even just digital advertising where we could, you know, make use of more banner ads or targeted advertising, that type of stuff really, you know, helped us to get the word out there. But then, like I said, we still have to worry about keeping that customer who doesn't want to, you know, just automatically switch to from going to the grocery to buying everything on amazon.com. Right. You know, we have to sort of bring them in. So we've really been trying to, like I said, spearing that with our custom programs, which, um, you know, we have semi made to measure shirts where you can kind of program in your, you know, sleeve length, collar size, how you want your body online gets made and sent to you. And, you know, like I said, it was kind of making sure that people could see that you can get that same experience and that same quality and that same customer service in cyberspace, so to speak, rather than not just visiting Neiman Marcus or one of our retailers. And, you know, so it was definitely a slow, a slow build, but we really have in the past years really transitioned more to thinking about the customer and, you know, kind of trying to give the customer no matter what their familiarity with, you know, technology, as many options as we can. That's interesting. And, and to recap that, I think, yeah, you have a really, I think a really interesting definition of, of what that digital infrastructure is. It's not just when we say infrastructure, typically, right, we think of a structure, something that's, that's tangible, uh, like a technology but when you're thinking of really that whole experience, you're also considering the perception and the experience that's being had by the user as part of just that digital infrastructure and thinking of like the infrastructure being everything necessary to support the user. And so, you know, when you say that perception and taking that time or when you say, when you say the experience and taking the time to build that brand message and build that perception to where now you can own that yourself as a standalone brand. Besides the Instagram, the Facebook, uh, the digital advertising, and the e-commerce, was there any other technology that was enabling that infrastructure, enabling that campaign success? Or really, was it having that cohesive message and really just leveraging those channels together that allowed it to have that success? You know, I said by a little bit, you know, definitely it was more the synergy of kind of everything put together, what I'd say is then one thing. And then we've... Um, you know, really just try to also make it so if you see something sort of online, you can get the same experience online or in store, or you can see something in store 
from our, you know, e-commerce platform. And if it's not there, we can ring it up and have things kind of seamlessly done that way, if that makes sense to you. Like, as I said, we're unfortunately our, um, our customers are not the quickest to adopt sort of new technologies. And as we're working, for example, on our Ike Behar app, which really is designed to kind of streamline and create that whole experience. But um, again, we kind of then get stuck in the place of making sure that it is easy enough to use and convenient enough that there is some value in using that, whatever your sort of proclivity for buying is. I see. Well, I mean, we've covered quite a bit in that core piece. So I, I think that that's a, that's a great place to transition to some rapid fire questions. Uh, you ready for some rapid fire questions, Josh? Let's do it. All right. So really just, just quick answers, you know, things that, that come to mind. We can get really quickly through these. You know, when you're in a position to where you've brought a lot of ideas to the table and you're, you're totally entrepreneurial in that sense. So when you're considering these ideas and really associating that ROI to them, you know, would you put a more emphasis on the idea or the execution? And then how would you weigh each of those and why? You know, I think that's a, that's a pretty tough question because um, I think I could, I could probably make the argument either way. But, uh, you know, using our Ike Behar app or, you know, even just our online uh, web custom app as an example, from conception, it's, you know, a lot easier to say, okay, our app will make the buying experience this much easier in this, this, and this way. But if our salespeople in store can't use it in a way that shows the customer how to use it, then we're not really going to gain anyone who's not already going to kind of jump on board with us. So we really have to kind of consider whenever we think of a rollout of something like our Ike Behar app, how we are going to not only build it and create the user experience in a way that makes people want to adopt it, but also just in rolling out, rolling it out and making sure that people kind of have a way to find it. And, you know, so, you know, if we had the best idea, but, you know, we can't kind of show people how to engage with us in that way, the idea really means nothing, you know? And I mean, if, you know, if we have a crappy idea, but it <laughs> it's executed really well, it's still, you know, a crappy idea, unfortunately. So, um, you know, I think it's probably 50-50. You gotta, you've got to make sure you have your ducks in a row in your planning phases and then kind of stick to your guns at one point, but then also not be too rigid. You got to look at what works and what doesn't and, you know, then tailor how you execute based on that. And then you know, you take that information and you create your new ideas and go from there. So I really think they kind of work very hand to hand and probably is difficult to separate the two. So what has been your biggest learning lesson on your journey in retail so far? My biggest uh, learning lesson is, you know, you like we were saying about execution, probably you, you've got to handle your end because in retail, especially nowadays with the kind of rise of, you know, the mobile space, even it's so, so easy for people to find options. So, you know, you need to have your message on point. You need to have your apps clear and easy to use, because if you're 
way of doing thing is either confusing or not user friendly. It's, you know, it's just as easy to go find someone else. And, you know, one thing you can learn from the brick and mortar store, if it's hot out, like it is today, very hot, you get less people to walk in. So there's so many things that are out of your control that you, you really have to have the things that are in your control handled properly. So how about what's your favorite business or marketing book? I'm a big fan of uh, Who Moved My Cheese, which is actually my, one of my father's favorite books. And, um, and anything by Michael Lewis is really more general business. But um, I just think he really creates you know, great insight into maybe industries that you or I might find too complex just from the outside. And it really kind of creates a great way to sort of then apply that to your own things. Like my fit, one of my favorite Michael Lewis books is uh Moneyball. And one of the biggest things about that, like I said earlier, I think uh, Billy Bean, he doesn't really pull in stars to market his team. He wants to win because he figures people know a superior product. And, you know, that's one thing I've kind of taken to whatever you don't need bells and whistles. You just need a better product. And if you can kind of educate people that, to, to use the phrase, the team on the field, if it looks good, um, people gravitate to it. So if you were to give a quick pitch on Who Moved My Cheese, what's the quick skinny on that book? Who Moved My Cheese? Hmm, let me think of a good way to put it. Um, it's really just about, um, you know, business relationships and kind of self-improvement almost, you know, and fostering, fostering change, but sort of in a way that allows not only you to be successful, but allows your coworkers to be successful. Cause you know, like I said, in kind of adopting newer digital strategies, you know, me kind of running in, kicking the door open and saying, you know, this is what you old men need to do. And wagging my finger is never really going to get anything done. You know, who move my cheese is really a great way about dealing and communicating your ideas for change, which is, you know, necessary to kind of keep a business going, especially one that's been in business for 50 years. You have to kind of adapt and you have to find ways to get comfortable with the, you know, uncomfortable, so to speak. Awesome. And I'll definitely link to both of these books and, you know, Moneyball in the show notes so that everyone can check those out. You know, how about, uh, Josh, what's your favorite digital resource? You know, I actually use the Google Display Display Network and Google Analytics a lot. And I just think, you know, it's really a great resource that you can kind of put a lot of money into or, you know, even the small mom and pop shop down the street can really kind of localize and get into the digital marketing sphere. And it's really just, like I said, the democratization of information. Lastly, what is your favorite mobile app and why? You're you're currently building yours. You can't say it because it's not in the market yet. So you got to pick it up. No. Yeah, yeah, no. That's tough, but I do love Prime Now. You know, it's very, it's there, you know, if if you're not in a city where Prime Now is actually where they, you know, can deliver to you in under two hours, it is ridiculously easy to use. And, you know, from anything, uh, being at work and needing an extra flash drive or, um, you know, forgetting your friend's birthday, it just makes it easy for you to kind of engage with, you know, a whole bunch of other businesses out there, you know, Amazon's really kind of led the way in that. And that Prime Now app, I think is really, really interesting 
example of where we're heading. So in concluding, you know, what is the coolest thing you're working on right now that you want everyone to know about? Really modernizing the digital custom experience. Like I said, we have a big history of custom work. You know, my great grandfather was a tailor. He owned a small tailor shop in, you know, the Havana Vieja neighborhood of Havana. And um, that's really something we kind of try to bring into our whole company. So what we really want to be able to do is, you know, bring our, that feeling of coming into a tailor shop and going through hundreds of fabrics and seeing all the different cuts and styles and everything, but bringing that experience to the web and to mobile. And, you know, I mean, just like I said, giving customers the option. And it's, you know, I really think as, you know, phone qualities even are are getting better, you can really kind of show people fabrics in a way that you couldn't, you know, before. You can show people cuts in a way you couldn't before. And it's, you know, just technology is making it more and more easy. I know they, you know, there's a number of companies now working on just take a photo of yourself and your suit will magically appear on you. And they're like Warby Parker does. And um, it's the way that we are kind of integrating that into our business is just very exciting. So Josh, if our audience wanted to get in touch with you directly, you know, what's the best way to reach you? You can always shoot me an email. I'm a big email guy, um, which is just my name, Joshua at Ike Behar, I-K-E-B-E-H-A-R.com. All right. Check out IkeBehar.com and feel free to shoot Joshua an email. Josh, thank you so much for the lesson today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you, Jordan. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join us next for a conversation with Diane LaBiglio, co-founder and CEO of Boone Plus Gable. We talk about how Diane started the company from a pain point of her own and the unique business model that evolved from this pain. Diane introduces Clark, the company's algorithm, and how he interprets data, where and when your stylist comes into play during this Boone Plus Gable process, and the oath that comes with Boone Plus Gable that builds trust with their customer base. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.